When I found out about the hurricane, I called Chris and his house. You'll hear more about it, but it was four feet underwater. They had been there 23 days. And uh, Chris will tell you a little bit of his story. But I am so blessed that Chris, not only Chris, but Rebecca, if you're watching online, this service or next, thank you for allowing Chris to come and to be a part of this. His wife, Rebecca, and their three children are back in Texas, and he has been able to be here this week to help us think as a staff about how to respond in the face of calamity, and we are inviting Chris into our lives to teach us how we are to step into the lives of those who are going through a crisis. And so would you guys please help me in welcoming my friend, Chris Harrison. Thank you for that. It's really nice to see you all again. The first time that I was here in January, I was going through the most difficult time in my life, transitioning out of a senior leadership position in a, in a church in Glendale, California. Uh, this time happens to be the most difficult time in my life. Uh, hopefully next time I'm here, it's because I'm sharing with you what it feels like to win the lottery but we'll see. Uh, it's, a, it's a real joy and a privilege to be with you. I love your pastor, couldn't love him more. Um, <clears throat> he's been a, a real solid friend for a long time, and I'm grateful to the Lord for, for his friendship. Um, I'm really excited for you to get to be in ministry with him, and your team, the leadership team that you have is astounding. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So today I want to tell you two stories. One, I want to tell you a Jesus story, a story that he told. And two, I want to tell you my story. And now that I have preached this message at the, at the first service, I see what I did, what I didn't do. And so anybody that came to the first service, you can go up and tell them, uh, it got better. Uh, really, really better. <clears throat> Not that you have any way of knowing, but just trust me. Before we get going, I, I want to pray specifically for Houston, specifically for whoever's in the path of Irma. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for me and the time that we have together to, to sit in these two stories together. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are mighty. Your love is incomparable. Your power and your glory is unequaled. Lord Jesus, your faithfulness is unreasonable. Your presence with us is undeserved. And yet here we are. We're gathered together because you've called us here. There's no accident that, that any of us are here, right here, right now. We pray that we would know your presence, that we would know your power, that we would hear your voice. And Lord, that we would see what you see when you look to Houston and see the hundreds of thousands of people who have been affected by that calamity. And we pray that we would truly hear what the call is to Christians in the face of that calamity. And Lord, we look to the east and, and we look to Florida and we ask that you would Keep our brothers and sisters, men and women and children there, that you would keep them safe, that you would provide guidance and, and leadership and wisdom to all of those who are in charge of setting up 
shelters and evacuation sites and Lord that there would be provisions of water and that the church your body would step up in profound ways and provide for the needs of the people who are going to be the neediest they have ever been Lord Jesus we thank you for this time that we have together I pray for each person in this room that you would give them ears to hear, not me, but you. That you would give them eyes to see, not me, but you. And Lord, I pray for, for myself that you would set me aside, that you would stand in my body, that you would breathe in my lungs, that you would think in my mind, and that you would speak through my voice. That all things would glorify you. Lord Jesus, we pray these things through the power and for the glory of your name. Amen? Amen. So I'm here today basically to share with you what it's been like for my family and I over the last month. And I realized that uh, in the last five, six years, you have experienced extreme flooding. And I've talked to a couple that a year ago this time, uh, their home was flooded. And so you know floods. And you, you've seen the, the effect of floods. And so when I talk about what's going on in Houston, I'm not talking about anything that you don't know. You know floods. I just have to be honest with you and tell you I didn't know floods. I was, when somebody said to me floods, I was thinking like three inches of water. Like, oh no, the toilet backed up a little bit. I had no idea that uh, you could have a kiddie pool in your living room. I had no idea that my bed would float in the shallow end of the neighborhood swimming pool. I had no idea what flood meant until today. But now, not only do I know about floods, but I know a little bit more about the body of Christ. I, I know a little bit more about what the gospel calls you and I to do when these kind of things happen. And so I'm going to share with you a Jesus story. I'm going to share with you my story. And then I'm also going to share with you an invitation. I'm going to share with you a real and tangible opportunity to respond, not as the church, not as country Bible church, not as people who have showed up to this building every year for the last 25 years, but as my brothers and my sisters. Because let me tell you what, brothers and sisters, I need you. Houston needs you. Florida's going to need you. Jesus told a story about a man who needed like possibly he had never needed before. And through this story, he helps us see the church through eyes that we've possibly never seen the church before. If you would pick up with me in Luke chapter 10... In verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? When you look at it, what do you see? How does God speak to your heart? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this 
and you will come alive. Change the emphasis, put some emphasis on that. Jesus says, you will live, but what I'm saying is, if you do those things, love God so profoundly and deeply in such a connected, relational way, and then you take that love and you look at your neighbor and you say to your neighbor, you may live in, across the street in another city, in another state, but you, my friend, you are my business, then you, you will come alive. Then the story continues. The man wanted to justify his actions. He came at Jesus with an agenda. So he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. Now, by chance, a a priest came along, professionally religious person. We could think of like a pastor or we could think of an elder. Uh, But when they saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. When I say despised Samaritan, I want you to think like an Oregon Ducks fan. (laughs) And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. And if his bills run higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. And then Jesus turned to the the man who was asking him the question, the man he told the story to, and he said, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replies, the one who showed him the mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now you go, and you do the same. And friends, I am here to tell you about a town called Houston that's been beaten and who's a little naked and who needs a Samaritan to come and be our neighbor. Who needs a neighbor to look at us and say, you are my business. Because Jesus is my God, what matters to you matters to me. So what matters to me, I'm going to tell you, this is my story. When I was here in January, we were just leaving a church, and it wasn't the most pleasant of, of uh, departures, and my soul was hurt, and you guys ministered to me so much. Uh, after after uh, preaching here, I got a handwritten letter in the mail, and shortly after I received it, before I wrote back, because, you know, I'm, I'm uh, of a generation that took leave of writing letters as soon as we could, uh, I put it in a box, and that box got put in a in a, in a pod and, and stored. And 
I also got some emails, and I really appreciate the encouragement that you gave me. And right about that time, my wife and I were trying to discern what was next for us, and we heard God say, plant a new church. I want you to plant and get excited about planting a new expression of the gospel. And so I was thinking like, Lord, Malibu needs Jesus. And if not Malibu, there's Long Beach, there's Newport Beach. I hear that there are people who don't know Jesus in La Jolla. I would go there for you. And my wife, who was a Southern California girl, she was like, you know, honey, I think, I think we need to go to Houston. I think we need to go back to your hometown. I think we need to go where your family is. And I was like, but my family's there. And she put her arm around me the way she does, and she said, but this isn't about you. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and our children have lots of cousins there, and they need people to play with. And so we started to look to Houston, and we found a church there that was wanting to partner with a couple to plant a new gospel movement in Houston. And so we ended up partnering with them and moving to Houston, and we moved into our new house August 1st, and I want to show you some pictures of our journey. This first picture is a picture of my family saying goodbye to the beach where I wanted to plant a church. The future was so bright we had to wear shades, and at this point in time, man, we were just looking in the future going, I can't wait to see how God is going to bless us now. And so we packed up the van and we moved to Beverly. Wait, no, we moved away from Beverly. We were the anti-Beverly hillbillies. So we packed up the truck and we found a house in uh, a suburb called Myerland, Texas. Myerland is part of Houston. And this was the house that we found. Um, it was, uh, I don't know why I took a picture of the sign, but I wanted that to be, I wanted you to know our address, I guess. So we lived in this house. Uh, we moved into this house and it was great. It had four bedrooms, enough for my kids, and, and it was fantastic. It had a backyard, it had a front yard, which is something that you don't normally get when you're in Southern California. And it had a garage, which was the only prerequisite of our youngest child. He didn't care if the house had a house, it just needed a garage. And this had a big one. So we were excited about that for him. There were kids in the neighborhood for him to play with. Like day one, we're sweating inside the house, moving boxes in and out. And he's got his scooter out front, scooting with the kids in the hood. And we were like, praise you, Jesus. Whatever else you happen to do, whatever, however else you come through for us, Lord, we're stoked because our little one is getting to play with kids and he's never had kids in the neighborhood to play with. This is fantastic. So we were so excited for him. And, uh, we got into this house and we had this large room and we were so excited because in this large room we could finally put the sofa leather sectional of our dreams. Oh, it was fabulous. We went into the room store and we sat in all the cozy, comfy things that do the, you know, the robots. The and you know what? Here was the, the problem with the robot couch with the console is that my wife was four and a half feet away from me when we sat down on the love seat. And at night, we like to cozy up and hold hands and watch a little British murder mystery or something like that. And we couldn't do that because there was a drink holder and an igloo cooler in the way. So we both got into that. We, we got this. We got this Monday, August 21st. No, it was the 20th. And so this was about 
four days before the storm clouds started to come in, when we got this sofa, we um, began to hear about this storm that was coming, and it was Harvey. And I grew up in Houston. I've been through hurricanes. Uh, you know, the streets flood, but the houses don't. And we just didn't know what to expect. So when it came time, we decided that, well, if this thing's going to flood and it's going to get really bad, we don't want to be here standing at the window watching it rain. So we went through our house and we put everything up high the way you're supposed to. And this is just a picture of one of the rooms. We put some stuff on our bed and we got the sheets up off the floor. And I was thinking at worst, six inches are going to come cascading through our house. And then uh, we're renting. So the, the owner of the house is going to have to, to tear up the carpet and give us new carpet. And then we'll be happier anyway. So we left our house kind of looking like this, and, and we went to another uh, burb outside of Houston called Sugarland. And Sugarland is a place that doesn't flood. And we were checking in regularly with a neighbor who decided to stay in our neighborhood, and she was telling us, um, you know, everything's great. Friday night, it was fabulous. Friday night, there was, there was a lot of water, but it was draining. Saturday, it was great. There was a lot of water, but it was draining. And so we were thinking, this is fantastic. In fact, do we want to eat? Do we want to go home now? Saturday, we'd wait another day. Saturday night, we went to bed. Sunday morning, we wake up because my uncle is like, hey, the storm's getting bad, and I think we need to go to the grocery store. So we went to the one grocery store that was open, and this is what that looked like. Talk about Christians in calamity. Uh, we did 20 minutes of shopping, an hour and 42 hours and 40 minutes of waiting in line to check out. I will never again complain because four or five people are in front of me writing a check. We had uh, lines wrapped all the way around down to the back of the store. After they got over a thousand people in the store, they actually closed the front door and there was lines of people waiting in the rain. And it was about that time that I got a text from my wife our neighbor had taken pictures of what it looked like in our neighborhood. And like uh, we, well, actually, I, I did this in reverse order. So I'm going to show you what it looked like in the neighborhood that we were staying, Sugarland, that never floods. In a neighborhood that never floods, that's how much water there was. Once we got in from the store, we were shut in that house for four days because this water kept rising and never went away. And this was in a neighborhood that never floods. When I got the pictures from our neighbor showing us what our house looked like, it looked like this. That's actually our neighbor's house. Ours is on the left behind that tree. You can't see it, but there was a really heartbreaking moment when I saw that. My mind was blown. I had no idea. And it wasn't just us. There are 2,300 homes in our area, 1,900 flooded. 1,900 families' homes flooded just in our area. And we weren't even one of the hardest hit. So when we got, when the water receded several days later, we got uh, to go back to the house, and that was the water line at the front door. I think the next one is the water line at the back door. No, this was our kitchen. Uh, it had floated the, it had floated the <clears throat> refrigerator out of, its, out of its place and pulled the water line out 
and so there was more water. Can't wait to get that water bill. And this was the water line at the back door. It was four feet at the front door, four and a half feet at the back door. Um, and as we, what's the next slide? As we began to carry our life that had been flooded to the curb, that's what it looked like. We began to take the things that we loved, our sofa, our beds, mattresses, our dressers full of the clothes that we didn't move, and we had to push it to the store. And when we were done, my wife took this picture. Um, that's what it looked like in front of our house. This is what it looked like in front of our street. It just looked like every house threw up. This was a picture taken of... Uh, our area, and it was in the Houston Chronicle. And the, the reason I'm showing you this is because I want you to see the state of people's hearts in Houston right now. Their lives are on the curb. Their homes are on the curb. And they're asking why, and they're asking what's next, and they're asking who's going to help me. In this next photo, I want to show you the hope that is in Houston. This is a pastor who got in that water and swam car to car to car to make sure that anybody who needed rescuing could be rescued. And then in the most iconic photograph, this was a woman and her child that needed rescuing, and uh, the man who showed up to, to rescue them. This is one of the best images of what it looks like to be in Houston right now. There's no racism. There's usism. There's no white, brown, black, any other nationality. It is people who have seen calamity and are pulling together to serve one another in one of the hardest times that they have ever experienced. And I want to ask you, church, are you a people who want to get involved with that. When we walked back into our house and we saw the damage that had been done, we were there about 20 minutes and one of the pastors from my church, uh, the church that is, is uh, where we're resident church planners at, it's sending us out, just showed up. And he saw that we were by ourselves and needed help. And so he picked up the phone and made a call. And about 10 church members showed up with gear and coolers full of water and Gatorade and sandwiches. And they began to set to work in our home to help us salvage what we could and get everything that was heavy and awful out to the street. But that wasn't all. There was another church that showed up to our neighborhood and they had about 50 people with them. And so about 20 of them came into our home and helped the other 10 take care of our lives to love on us and care for us and to get our stuff out to the curb and to get the stuff that we could save packed up and boxed. I want you to think of your dishes and your china cabinets and how long it would take you to wash and bleach and wrap and box every one of those. And that's what these churches did. They stepped in and they cared for us and they loved us. And the majority of them did not even know us. 
They just knew who their neighbor was. These were Christians who stepped into calamity and saw us and said, you, you are my business. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at with this story. Is that what Jesus wants is to step into the hearts of his people and have his people step into the lives of others and say, because of Jesus, you are my business. Because of Jesus, what you're going through, I'm going to step into. As a matter of fact, I want you to see something here. As, as Jesus tells the, the story, he, he's opening our eyes to something that we need to wrap our heads around. That Jesus doesn't want to build monuments. He's building movements. Jesus isn't trying to, to build some sort of structure with a cross on it that people can look to so that we can say, oh, look, that's something God did once. Jesus wants to build a people not a building. He wants to build a movement, not a monument. He wants to see you and me be people filled with his love and his compassion and his mercy stepping into the places that need his mercy and his compassion the most. You and me, we are a people on the go who look at the scripture, hear Jesus tell us that our neighbor is maybe the person we most despise. Our neighbor is a stranger we've never met. Our neighbor is somebody in another state like Texas that thinks it's superior to every other state in the world. No, make that the universe. But they're our neighbor. And so he tells us the story about these two religious professionals who step around the man when they see him. Because he wants us to wake up to the fact that religion protects us from relationship. Religion is about following rules. When we get religious, we start doing weird things like telling people that don't know the Bible that thou shalt not. People, I've been a pastor for 25 years and I don't even understand King James. I, I read like the message version because it's down at my level. I want us to experience the fullness of the relationship with God and not the religion that we've created to protect ourselves from him. These people walk to this man and they see him broken and hurting and for their own reasons they step around him and I think this is Jesus' first invitation to you and me today. Don't step around crisis. Step into it. The floods in Houston and the aftermath and the damage and the reconstruction that's necessary, that's not a headline in the newspaper. That's an invitation for mercy and compassion. That's an invitation for the people of God to become the movement of Jesus. It gives us a destination. In Florida right now, they're experiencing what could be a really devastating hurricane. It's an invitation for the people of God to not step around it, to not read the headline, but to step into it and be the people that Jesus has created us to be. 
There's another thing that this good Samaritan does with the man. He brings him to a local Motel 6, and he, he gives the guy his credit card, and he says, hey, let this cover the night, but if he has to stay extra nights, and don't worry, just put it on my account. I'm going to take care of him because he is my business. This man speaks words. He doesn't, he doesn't go home and tell all his friends what he saw. He actually speaks into the life of the man that he's rescuing. He doesn't speak about it. He speaks into it. And I think that's another invitation for you and me today. We're invited to be a people and not a building. The church as a people on the move, not a people in the monument. We are invited to be a people on the go for the glory of the Lord. We're invited not to step around the mess, but to step into the mess because that is where Jesus is. I can't, I, I don't know how this is possible, but when we were standing in our, in our home, and I was watching total Christian strangers take my sofa out to the street because of their love for me and my family we were okay we could watch things be carried to the street regardless of how much we valued them because there were people brothers and sisters who thought that I was their business who cared because I am their neighbor and that gave my wife and I the strength to stand and though the waters had torn everything apart and destroyed things we loved and washed my 18 year old daughter's baby blanket out, out into the street though all of that was going on we could hold hands and we could sing here I am to work Worship, here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely. You're altogether worthy. You're altogether wonderful to me. Because he sent his people into our mess. Because he sent my neighbors to care for us. The next invitation is don't speak about it. The news is shocking, and every time you see this or anything that you're going to see about Hurricane, it's going to shock you. What your amazing leadership team has done next week is giving you an opportunity to speak into it. Not, oh, I can't believe that that happened, but you're going to have the opportunity to say, here's what I'm going to do. Because my neighbors are suffering and they're lying beaten and naked and broken on the ground in Houston and in Florida and that's not okay with me. Because their business is my business. And that's not okay that my brother is laying on the ground and Jesus is standing there with him saying, who will care for my son? 
You're going to have the opportunity to say, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to break two journals praying about this. I'm going to run out of ink every pen in the house, writing letters to encourage all total strangers in Houston, but I'm going to send them anyway, and they don't ever have to know who I am. You, you have the opportunity to, I don't know, be part of a team that's going to go to Florida or go to Houston and, and get into the business of people whose homes still need the sheetrock torn out and the carpets drugged to the street with levels of mildew and mold that will kill a normal human, but you're not a normal human. You're a man, a woman, a child of the beloved God. You're going to have an opportunity to, to figure out. Let me, let me tell you, my son's elementary school had three feet of water for five days. The city's working on it, but he's still not going to start school, second grade, until September 25th. So if you're taking notes, please write down, pray for Chris and Rebecca as they try to make it through the longest summer ever. If any of you are asking, yes, even eight-year-olds get tired of Minecraft. My son's school uh, sent us a list, and I forwarded it to your leadership team of, of things that they need. You want to you care for your neighbor? You want to be the gospel? You want to be the gospel? You want non-Christians in Houston to see the love of Jesus at work through you? You have the opportunity to help purchase a rug for my son's classroom and every other classroom in the school. Do, do you realize the power and the impact? I, I, I want to make this absolutely clear. Do you realize the power and the impact of non-Christians who are going to walk into a classroom and see their son, their daughter sitting on a rug that some church in Blair, Nebraska provided because it matters to them? Just take a minute and let the gospel impact of that settle in for a second. Can you imagine when every child in a classroom has a ruler because it mattered to some church in Blair, Nebraska? That will preach all day long. And your leaders are going to put a whiteboard up in front of you and say, hey, what are you going to do? How are you going to step into the mess, not step around it? How are you going to speak into it, not speak about it? And, and I'm not asking you to empty out your savings or anything. I'm not asking you to do any of that. I'm asking you to figure out how you're going to love your neighbor. And A, I believe God will tell you, and B, there's a thousand ways to do it. And one of the reasons that I'm here and so happy to be here is because I'm putting a face to it. I'm saying, look, I love you people, and I'm begging you to love me. I, I love what Jesus is doing in Blair. Yet 38 people give their lives to Jesus Christ last week for the first time. What's going on? You're, you're defying national averages here in Blair, Nebraska. The, the Spirit of the Lord is doing something absolutely amazing here through Country Bible Church. I love that. And I want to be a neighbor to you. Because one day, the flood might come here. And it may not be water. It may be relationships that are falling apart. It may be finances that are uncertain. It may be a future that, that you're not positive about. 
And you bet, you better believe I want to be the neighbor who steps into that with you and encourages you and loves you, even if it's through Pastor Andrew, if it's through a silly message on Facebook. I want to be your neighbor. And first, I'm asking you to be mine. Interestingly, when I was clearing out my house and finding what we could salvage, that letter that one of you wrote to me, I found it. And interestingly, with all that I lost, that letter is now one of my prized possessions. It spoke to me in January and it spoke to me a week ago. That letter spoke into the calamity. So there's a last piece to this Jesus story, and it's not in the Bible, and I'm not going to tell you it is, and you'll never find these words in the Bible, but it's part of the story because it was part of my story. It's a part I wish was in this story, but it's in my story. Because at one time, I was that guy. At one time in my spiritual life, I was the one without Jesus. And I was the one who was stripped by the confusion of the world. And I was the one that was beaten down by whatever it was that I chose to abuse, whether it was alcohol or pornography or whether it was the misuse of relationships or a complete lack and total respect for the sanctity and the holiness of the people around me. I was the one beaten on the ground. And there was a man who stepped into my life. There was a man who spoke into my life. And his name is Jesus. See, Jesus saw me, and he was not content with me staying broken on the ground. Jesus saw me and said, you're my son. You're worth everything to me. You are my business. And and Country Bible Church, I want to tell you this morning, you are a son. You are a daughter of the king. You are important to him. You are his business. Wherever you are right now, whether you're in a, you don't know why you're here this morning, you have no relationship with Jesus, you just found your way here, somebody drug you here, or you lost a bet last night, I don't know. I want you to hear that you are important to Jesus. And you matter to him. And because you matter to him, you matter to me. And so Jesus picked me up and he brought me to this place. It was called First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood. And it was First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood because it was the closest church to where I had fallen. I'm Presbyterian by proximity as much as by training at this point in time. Don't worry, I'm I'm in recovery, but... But Jesus brought me to these people. And he said to these people, this is my son, and he is your brother, and he, he, you take care of him. 
And then here's the part of the story I think should be in the Bible, but it's not. I want you to hear me. It's not in the Bible, but I think it should be, but it's not. Jesus looked at me and he said, Chris, I have picked you up. I have brought you to shelter. I have rescued you. I have placed you among people who are going to love you and care for you. And they're going to be your neighbor. And what matters to you will matter to them. And they will be up in your business. And so, Chris, here's my invitation to you. Come alive. Don't stay where you are, Chris. Come alive. The invitation to me was to step into new life, to, to open myself to a, a new heart, to have God put his heart in me, which still is a work in progress. You could just look at me and you can tell his pants are too long. He don't have the spirit of God work totally in his life, but I'm working on it and I love the process. But Jesus said, I'm rescuing you. I'm putting you with these people. Come alive. And I want to ask you, as Jesus is inviting you to be a people, not a building, as Jesus is inviting you to step into it, not around it, as he's inviting you to speak into it, not about it, is Jesus also asking you to come alive? Is today the day that your heart is stirring, that there's a fire burning in you because there is a world out there that Jesus is calling you to call your neighbor? Are you, are you feeling the voice, hearing the voice of the Lord say, you are my daughter, you are my son. I got some babies over here that need you to love on them. Are you hearing Jesus say, come alive? Maybe some of you for the first time are hearing Jesus say, oh, come alive. Because I'm not content with you stuck where you are. I'm not content with you stuck in a broken relationship, a broken marriage. I'm not content with that. I want more for the both of you. I want you to love each other through me. And I want that to start today, right now, not tomorrow, not next week. I want you to bring Jesus to that next counseling meeting. Are you stuck in a place where your finances are so upside down, so underwater that they have become your God because that is all you can do is pray for the next thing? that will save you because finances will never save you. I'm in Houston, Texas, man. There's some rich people like, I can't even fathom how wealthy they are. And yet it's not enough. They, their money can't save them. They're still getting on their knees with me, praying and crying to Jesus because Jesus is the God that saves. Jesus is the, ste is the God that steps into our most difficult circumstances, our most powerful crisis, and our most painful calamities. Last time I was here, uh, somebody actually showed me in her journal, last time I was here, I preached some really awesome words, and she reminded me how awesome they were. Jesus is the God who says, it doesn't matter how heavy the pain of your circumstance is. What you need to focus on is the power of your Savior's stance. I feel like Mr. Rogers. Won't you be my neighbor? Greetings from Houston. Country Bible Church. We need you. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to say it outright. We need you. We need you to be a people, not a building. We need you to step into it, not around it. We need you to speak into it, not about it. And we need you to come alive, come alive, come alive, church.
because your brothers and sisters are hurting and we need you. And this is not an open-ended, vague thing. Your leaders are preparing ways for you to step into it. Your leaders are preparing ways for you to speak into it. And I hope that you don't wait till next week. I hope that this burdens your heart and you start writing emails and, and you pick up the phone and make phone calls. And I, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit gets to working in you and you come up with new ways that we haven't even thought of that you can step in and neighbor your brothers and sisters in Houston and, and what might be needed in Florida. Come alive, church. Come alive. I'm going to invite Alex to come out as we wrap up this moment. And I'm going to speak to a couple of groups of you specifically. I'm talking about a, a real flood, a flood that flooded my house and changed my life. Some of you are experiencing a different kind of flood. A flood that is a flood of the soul, a flood that you can't explain with words because it's just feelings of, of feeling lost, of, of feeling isolated, of feeling alone, of, of feeling like you don't know when you take that next step, if there's going to be ground there or not. Some of you are in a flood. And I want to ask you, are you hearing the voice of God today say to you, come alive? I want to rescue you. I have a place for you because you matter to me. I have a people for you because you are my child. If you're in water so deep, you don't know where your breath is coming from. I want to ask you to do something really courageous. I want to ask that you would listen to the invitation of the Lord and come alive in him and let him part the waters for you and deliver you to a people who will love you because they have a God that loves them. At any point in the next two minutes and 45 seconds, you are a person who is ready to walk out of the water and into the arms of a loving God and a loving community. I want to invite you to come forward. I want to invite you to come forward and pray with your pastors and your elders who are ready to welcome you as their brother and sister, who are welcome, who are ready to say, you're my neighbor. Your business is my business. What matters to you matters to me because you're important. If that's you, come forward and pray. Come alive. If you're a person who feels like your faith has, has been on the shelf, it's been in the lazy boy recliner for too long and there's something moving in your heart right now and, and you, you want to put shoe leather on the ideas of your faith, I'm going to ask that you put that shoe leather on and come alive again. Come forward and pray and, and we'll pray with you and ask the Lord Jesus to unburden you, to dust you off and to get you ready for a season of stepping into and speaking into 
And if you're a person who is alive, you can't come any livelier. I'm going to ask that you pray for those who aren't. I'm going to ask that you open your heart and you open your mind, you open your ears to the voice of God, and you listen for his invitation for compassion and mercy to those who need it the most right now. I'm going to pray and the band's going to play and then I'm going to disappear. But Jesus doesn't disappear. He's here, ready to pull you from the water, ready to step into your mess, ready to speak into your heart so that you come alive. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for you this morning. We're so grateful for you this morning. Lord, we lift our hearts to you. And for some of us, you just need to take our hearts and you need to give us yours. And for others of us, we need you just to awaken those hearts to what is going on in yours. And for still others, Lord, we thank you that our hearts are in tune to the station of yours, that the music that you play in your heart, we receive loud and clear. Lord, do something awesome here because we want to be a people, not a building. We want to be a movement, not a monument. We want to go where your people are needed most. We need some rescue here, Lord. You're in this room and you had 20 seconds. 20 seconds to to make up your mind, to ask God, Lord, will you release me from this flood? If you had 20 seconds to make that decision, I'm going to ask that you do so and stand up. If you had 20 seconds to say, Lord, release me from this flood, I want to walk on dry land with you, I'm going to ask that you stand. Nobody's looking. Nobody's counting. I'm just going to ask that you would stand and give him yourself. If you had just a few seconds left to say, Lord, my faith has been on the shelf. Man, I want something new in my heart. Lord Jesus, I I need you to work in new and powerful ways in me, and I want that to start right now. I'm going to ask that you stand. I'm going to ask that right now the Lord would dust you off, pull you off the ground to your feet, and begin to open your eyes to what he's seeing. If when you sing the song, just a closer walk with thee, you can't be any closer to Jesus. I'm going to ask that you stand. I'm going to ask that you stand and right now tune your hearts to the prayers of the people around you that are saying to Jesus for the first time, Lord, I want to come alive, that are saying to Jesus right now, Lord, I want to come alive again, and I want you to pray for them and and pray for Houston and and pray in your heart for the people and what they're going through right now in Irma, in uh, Florida with Hurricane Irma. Thank you, Country Bible Church. Thank you for your hearts. Thank you for your willingness to be the church for a people who need the church right now. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he turn his face to you. May he show you the glory of his smile. And may it give you peace. Thank you, Jesus.